0: hello hi gentlemen hello
1: hello guys
2: welcome to another episode of spine crackers uh we spine crackers yum (laughs) i am matt i am
1: gabe the baritone i am paul borderline baritone but not quite there
2: i'm a my singing voice is a tenor so i'll go ahead and say that is that true yeah I know I give such rich bass notes myself but're we're
0: basically we're basically a barbershop triplet
2: well i guess do we all sound the same audio audio wise is that a problem do we is Probably. that part of the problem do you we mean sound... like quality
0: because it's yeah. definitely not all the same you're you sound
2: better than us well yes of course i've gear but do we all <laughs> sort of ba- like what i i did a podcast with my brother which it makes sense why that became confusing for a lot of people Give this plug yeah but to be fair i was the original i'm the older brother so all his all the mannerisms and stuff are mine just straight bitten. yeah just absolutely <laughs> fucking taking a big old bite out of my fucking style
1: well i remember gabe when we were younger When uh someone overheard us talking I forget how this scenario actually happened but i remember people saying that we had like very similar voices and they couldn't tell us apart at all,
2: all right. who was this person that was chiming in know. on conversation i do
1: not remember i don't know how this scenario happened <laughs> if we were like talking in another room and they were like listening in i don't i don't really understand but it did happen
2: interesting so,
0: i think you're making that
2: yeah. up that yeah, i made like, it up paul you can't it's a list world now and you can't be bringing malarkey to the table this early. Uh, that so was fake news. It was
0: it was my birthday this week.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yesterday. Uh, thirty-three. Thirty-three years young. Yeah, I Gabriel. I know. Speaking it's of, bit, of uh, I was
0: gonna just bite your joke from our text chain, Matt, and sing the Taylor Swift song, but thirty-three.
2: Yes. I don't know about me. But, I don't know about
0: you... me. I'm feeling 33. <laughs> Have a hard time. No, no, no. Gotta go in, poop, and pee.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like that it says, I don't know about me. I like that you're having that kind of crisis. I don't know about you. <laughs> the book this week is about Jews. Dude, okay. So the book that we're going to discuss is a short story collection called Soul of Wood by this is my stab Jakov Lind.
0: My I I'm I'm pretty sure the J is a Y.
2: Like Yakov Smirnov? Yeah. Okay, Yakov Lind. Yakov Lind. I could be wrong. We'll go with that. That's the consensus. Uh, I didn't mean, I, I know it's a sort of a joke at this point. I didn't mean to choose another <laughs> Nazi and <laughs> world war two and Holocaust adjacent. Yeah, This is, this, this is the, the, the hat trick for you three in a row. Right. Fuck, I, I, I do have to fucking vary it up. Uh, I, I didn't intend. There's
1: some, uh, there's some what? subconscious, um, something or other going on. Oh yeah. You didn't even, you didn't even mean to do this one. You thought it was just a a normal book without Nazis and Auschwitz and then wrong. (laughs) Fuck.
2: Okay. I will pick something a little bit different next time around. But the reason I picked this was uh, I should have guessed based on like the writer's nationality and the time period <laughs> and whatever. But um, the reason I picked this collection was because uh, Gabe and I actually read it way, way back when we were like 18 or, or something. Yeah, something. Um, Little babies. And the only story I remembered was the, you know, journey into the night or whatever. The, that the was probably the shortest one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So it was more, I was just trying to like, roll back to something that I had read that I had basically forgotten <laughs> for all intents and purposes, like, uh, and uh, see if it was as good as I remembered. Did I was
0: going to ask, I was going to ask Matt, did you, what, what were your memories of it? Like in terms of just your impression, not so much that what did you remember about the stories, but like, what do you remember about thinking about it when, from that time? Uh,
2: I remember I mean basically it was the 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 story I just mentioned the weirdly the shortest one that stuck in my head mm-hmm. and and kept me remembering the entire collection itself which is why I even chose it like you know not the sort of early not the novella that like opens the collection not really any of the stories after that either literally just the one shortest little story in the whole collection is the, is what stuck with me the most and but kept you, me thinking about it until now.
0: And you re, you remember overall feeling positive about it though and enjoying it? Um or it didn't even go that far.
2: Yeah, I remember being I remember feeling overall like it was cool. Like not not a strong impression, but I was like this was cool. I remember it being weird uh and I was just curious where I would sit with it now. Nice. It wasn't
1: like a five. It wasn't like a five bagger classic in your head, <laughs> like uh, Gene Pop Stafford's the, Ma- the Mountain Lion.
2: No, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't an absolute knockout of the park, which is also partially why I wanted to reread it mm-hmm. because it was even more mysterious to me what the fuck it was because I legitimately forgot <laughs> the plot to like ninety percent of the stories that are in it.
0: I definitely felt like I was reading. I, I remembered. Some stuff like you, man, a couple of the stories from when I read this when we were younger, but uh, uh, I definitely felt like I was reading most of them for the first time because I like even reading them. I was like, it didn't really trigger like a memory. So it didn't. I clearly didn't uh, uh, imprint them that deeply when I read it the first time.
2: Yeah, it wasn't like I was like having all of these rushes of realization as I was reading the whole book. Like, oh, my
0: God. You, you you didn't have that link discovering a memory
2: in in Breath of the Wild. Uh, 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 uh! <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I wanted, and I didn't have it. Ex- yeah. Except for the one that I already obviously remembered. Yeah. So uh, so do you want to
0: start? Do 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 we want to talk about the? I guess start at the beginning. The 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 actual you know titular novella, Soul of Wood. Uh, right. Soul of Wood. Soul of Wood. Uh, what's do we want to start
2: there? Yeah, you want me to tr- give a, a presses? Yeah, yeah, what's going on there? All right, so the book's called Solar Wood. Soul right. was, <laughs> it's the first, not it's the first one, it's basically a novella. Uh, like what, like 80 pages or something? Yeah, something like that, a little over 80 pages. And uh, it was my favorite, um, of the things I read, probably in the collection. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very strange and it's going to not be easily synopsized, but, uh, basically this German, like, what would you call him? Housekeeper servant of sorts, Wolbrecht uh, is tasked with delivering the uh, son of the Jewish family who had hired him, uh, to deliver their, completely like paralyzed and and borderline insensate weird son to safety because they couldn't do it and they uh because they be, they were interred in the camps uh and wolbrecht himself was is, is a, a
0: war veteran from a previous from the, from
2: world war one one yeah. yeah
0: and he's got a peg leg so I which i just wanted to say that
2: he does <laughs> he's cool he's got a peg leg uh and basically like, you know, so he goes on this journey to uh to bring this quadriplegic. It's not it's to say quadriplegia for Anton Barth is the name of the the kid, is not quite accurate. Um he has some miraculous thing where he was born a head, only a head <laughs> with no body, yeah. and a body yeah. slowly grew out of the neck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Which it wasn't was, like
1: it wasn't clear at first, right? Because he it, he's talked about as being just a head, right? For a few like like twenty pages or so, and then that story comes out where he actually was. He's not just a paralyzed person in his head. He was born just a head.
2: <laughs> no, his mother his mother pushed out ah the only the head of a baby, <laughs> and it was alive, and then it grew a body like way after the fact, slowly.
0: Which you know, evolutionarily, why not?
2: Yeah. yeah could happen. I mean, come on. If we were trying to like rewrite it, it yeah, it would be not the worst way to go. But
0: Benjamin Butthead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what? Do you would you uh, rather would you rather be old as shit coming out and then a baby? Sounds kind of better, right? I would rather Are you asking be me that.
0: what I would rather if I would be Benjamin Button?
2: Yeah. No. you take that deal no no way why no way
1: no i would actually i would totally do that it'd be cool (laughs) because i looked like brad pitt as i got younger
2: no 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 (laughs)
0: that's (laughs) not your fucking you isn't part of the point of benjamin button that it doesn't really matter that like you're you wind up like helpless and invalid at both ends
2: anyway right i mean old age is called is called second infancy anyway yeah But to be honest, Gabe, I didn't watch Benjamin Button or read it or know anything about it.
0: I think I might have watched it. Probably not. (laughs) I
1: honestly can't can't
2: believe there was a movie at all. (laughs) The weirdest thing about
1: that movie is that it's my sister's, my younger sister's favorite movie. And I find it so weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a weird favorite movie. I know. It's so weird. Like
2: (laughs) out of all the movies, that one. It's so moving. He's old and then he's a baby when he's old.
0: That's like I feel like yeah. that's like asking someone like what's your favorite movie? And they're like, the English patient, like, definitely. <laughs>
2: yeah. I think it's weirder than yeah. the English patient because it's not even like it didn't even receive accolades as that's a film. True. It's just a fucking yeah. weird concept. Anyway, that's not what Anton Barth is doing. <laughs> he was just ahead as a baby. Um, and Wolbrecht needs to sort of just bring him to a safe haven. Uh at to get it away from
0: the Nazis.
2: Right, exactly. Um. And uh, he, like, kind of succeeds. I, this is where I have a tr- uh, tough time just not sort of going into, like, very particular details. Because, like, Wolbrecht basically, like, kind of fucks up, but, like, gets to the location. And then well, he, he just leaves Anton in this mountain cabin ostensibly to die because he doesn't really know what to do and he just retreats back to the nearby village and kind of lives there and gets embroiled in, uh, you know, the uh, the Nazi party, but uh, he gets considered insane and brought to an asylum and et cetera, et cetera. He helps, he helps a sort of Joseph Mengele type guy and whatever. And then as the war sort of winds down, all these characters that have accumulated that are all, um, in some way, affiliated with uh, the Nazis and their crimes against humanity, realizes that they all want to get a hold of this. At 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 this point, sort of mythical Jew <laughs> on, <laughs> on the mountain, who they can all, cl- who they all want to claim they uh, hid and took care of, so that they don't seem as monstrous as they are. And uh, you know, that's the comical conclusion of the story, is they're all. Simultaneously trying to be the first to get to Anton who they assume is dead or at, at the very least he was immobile. Yep. Uh, but some sort of magical stuff happens to him on that mountain. Is that a good, is that good?
0: Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's, that's about the size of it. Do we, so should we sort of talk about, this story kind of in isolation, and then move into the other ones for a bit. Um,
2: cool. yeah, let's yeah, just let's go let's just go in sequence. what what were your what were your initial takeaways, Matt? initial impressions? This entire collection felt a little bit like it went over my head. Mm. I'm gonna be honest, Uh, it felt like there were a lot of things that were some sort of um, parable or, uh, you know, allegory, fucking, you know, whatever, uh, to an idea that Yaakov had or wanted to express about, like, the larger darkness of humanity or something like that like all of these stories definitely feel like they're they are at least exploring like one basic concept which is like the um kind of like the other fucking nazi literature the nazi literature in the america's book i was choosing like all the manifestations of of human evil uh painted in like a very like dark comedy light yeah
0: yeah i think i think this first story soul of wood specifically i i I felt like you said that it was there was a lot going on in terms of like you know religious allegory this like this like tadpole jew (laughs) on the mountain that like that you know and there that that all of these various characters want to sort of claim for themselves to show that they had saved uh, you know, a a, a a Jewish person, and that would somehow like redeem them, in in f- for all the horrible things that they had done during the war. Um Well,
2: at at the beginning, you know, it, it felt I was tr- I I thought I had picked up maybe the scent of like the meek shall inherit the earth, and like your your poor and huddled masses, and that kind of sentiment of like because oh, all of the people that were initially in like the first third were invalids or handicapped or sick uh because you had like you know you had wolbrecht who had one leg anton was immobile and uh then i forget what his uh wolbrecht's brother's name was um or brother-in-law rather i suppose uh but he had epilepsy and they were kind of like having a discussion as they were traveling of like sick people um You know, being the preferable people to run the world Mm -hmm. and to run society uh, because they just have this uh, perspective and uh, that like your power in society should be exactly commensurate to how fucked up you are, (laughs) which is they were, you know, essentially getting at the fact that Anton would probably be like the supreme leader of this hypothetical society because he straight up can't use any of his body or even like blink. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I was trying to, what do you think about that? Cause I, I was trying to figure out like, I don't even know how seriously to take something like that. Um. Well, yeah, I, I
1: sorry. I, I had similar views. Like I, I I felt like a lot of it, a lot of the connections, I, I could sense they were connections between characters to possibly some historical character type of person that I think went over my head, but I did get a little bit of that like grim fairy tale parable vibe, especially from this story where it was like structured in a way that was kind of fan, they had some odd fantasy elements, but it was also very much critical of what happened in society at the, uh, they're under like, you know, Nazis and stuff. So <laughs>
2: bet bet it was a
1: yeah it was a <laughs> it was an interesting mix but i do think i do feel like a lot of it did go over my head and i i found out or i i found myself just kind of enjoying like the ride the odd ride of it but i don't really know what to make of most of it
0: yeah and it's it's i think it's interesting because lynn's writing style i would categorize as like pretty straightforward pretty simple prose but it does communicate these very sort of like you get the sense that there's like a lot going on underneath um and I think that that again particularly in this first story uh but I think you're right Matt to sort of hone in on this like sort of theme of of physical deformity and kind of like you know the body and health and stuff like that and I I think that one way that that kind of manifests, or one sort of thing that that suggests to me, especially, and maybe we can come back to this when we look at some of the other stories, is that one of the themes that I saw throughout the whole collection, but again, especially in this first story, Soul of Wood, was this sort of theme of like, uh, what, of, of like survival and like when survival is out, like when is survival worth it in a way, right? Sort of like, like what things are we willing to do to survive and what do we gain from just that sort of bare survival? Because I think, you know, like Anton is literally just the the figure of just bare life, right? Like, yeah, right. just literally the, the sort of operations of the human body going on with basically <laughs> nothing else happening. And I think that sort of starting from that point, And the implicit question is like, is this a life worth living? Is it worth surviving this way? And that sort of starting point of that character, you sort of go work through the other characters and you see the things that they're willing to do just to survive. The implicit question being, is it worth it for the sort of life that these people have to live, which is often violent and terrible and in a world that is like painted as very, very, just shitty in basically every way
2: but anton also in a rare like kind of maybe glimmer of positivity uh takes his pleasures in weird ways because of how limited he is able to do anything whatsoever so it's like you do get these like kind of nice moments strictly with him and no one else basically where he like enjoys being cold Right, <laughs> you know like weird stuff like he's so excited to like see maybe a fox as he's being carted around in this like wagon uh, so you know he the, the question of, of why even let this person survive is most attributable to him instinctively and it's but he's maybe the one who takes the most joy out of you know his existence I yep. would argue
0: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And I think that it, it, it makes it even more, you know, because everyone else has the use of their body. They can do sort of other things, you know, aside, you know, aside from Woolbreck's peg leg and and a few other (laughs) you know, but the question for those characters becomes like what it's less about your physical body and your ability to interact with the world, but your ability to live with the outcomes of the choices you're forced to make in certain contexts. And like, is it worth living with those choices to, to just be thrown back into a world where you're going to be forced to make them over and over again for like what gain ultimately, other than that bare survival?
2: Well, with Wolbrecht, with you have like the other wrinkle to it, which is uh, everyone's motivations for, you know, because it's a book about, human evil post world war ii you're of course going to be getting the kind of grappling with the notion of people doing their job and serving functions and putting their heads down and trying to survive like you're saying while committing things that are like expand out into way worse atrocities um and then you have something like wolbrecht where he's like he's just kind of got this stodgy sense of uh honor and his word that's what kind of keeps him going for a while and like lands him in an insane asylum eventually like his whole arc seems to be that uh a man's word is bond essentially and that seems to be the strongest rationale or like imprint on any of his behavior and it slowly erodes away and eventually he renegs on his his like promise. So that's I think that's what you're watching with Wolbrecht is like a guy who served in the war and is a, is a decorated veteran uh and has a sense of honor and pride in his service and this kind of thing. Very familiar stuff. Uh who who wants to make good on on a on a promise he made and is being just completely like <laughs> owned while he's trying to do it and eventually he cracks.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, by the, yeah, exactly. And by the end, you know, even his, all the, the sort of honor and stuff have gone out the window in the name of survival. And he even sort of views, views Anton as essentially his, like his ticket out of, out of post-war justice and retribution. Like, oh, look, I, I saved one that I, that I had, that I had stowed away. So I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I don't have to answer for helping the doctors administer, you know, air yeah yeah exactly
2: but i yakov is like you said his his writing style is straightforward um but i was just like open randomly and just has and it is straightforward but he just has like random funny stuff where he'll just do something like pipe down screamed Woolbrecht. you know just like really quick like contradictory statements and stuff uh i thought this one was pretty funny this one felt a lot more like um uh who was i thinking of who did ferdy dirk and like gombrovic Ga- god damn it. Is that how you say it i'm just i think so vitold Vito- Gombrovich. Yep. uh where gombrovic <laughs> the only way to cope with the enormity of the evil that just occurred like in adjacent to all of these people's lives on uh in the european continent is like is to go is to go religious parable style Mm -hmm. and absurd but like with absurdity and cynicism heavily layered onto it like nothing about this story this story is very silly in the darkest way possible like all these people are comically stupid and like out for themselves and i mean obviously once you get to the city segment it's a it's also about like the unthinking dumb uh Internal logic and the and and the like useless struggles within it of like, the fascist system. In particular, the doctor and his struggle with what like some sort of other military official. I just I've, yeah meeting quotas for treatment, quote unquote, which is just a lethal injection. Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Well, Go ahead,
1: Paul. I was going to say, uh, the running style is definitely like straightforward, but. It, did, it does have like that kind of quick-wittedness to it that I found darkly funny and satirical. Uh, he also doesn't really use any, um, like he like she said this in quotations. It's just like, it's all, you just have to really follow along pretty closely to see who's talking in any particular paragraph. So that's, mm-hmm. a, little, that's a little weird. <laughs> but, it <was> good. <laughs> but it was good. I mean, I, I really... I really enjoyed the writing style, and I I was laughing a lot more more so at the uh, the other shorter stories, but this one had um, some great, just over the top, like Wilbrick going insane, which was really really funny, just his behavior.
2: He's the main character, basically. Yeah, he has an arc. Yep. He is yeah. also. I mean it, there's a lot of stuff that just sort of abruptly happens and sometimes it feels natural and sometimes it just feels weird. Like I guess he goes nuts because he gets to the cabin finally and it kind of sucked to do and his brother-in-law was being a pain in the ass and then he then his brother-in-law gets killed. And uh wh- what does that why he just gives up and leaves Anton up there? It, it's sort
0: of a, a weird, I was trying to find the exact moment that that happened, but because yeah, it's not exactly like the, the psychology of what happens in that moment is like pretty fuzzy. It feels like.
2: Yeah. Like he just kind of snaps, mm-hmm. which I guess yeah. makes sense if he's going to, if he's going to be certified insane later on in the story, because he goes into town afterwards and he's just like, what does he try and do? He, he tries to have sex with the whore.
1: Mhm.
2: which that was funny.
1: That was funny. It was funny.
2: But again, just like a, a, a minor, like maybe a paragraph's worth of a, of a quote unquote episode where you just meet this woman randomly that he goes to fuck who I guess he has seen before. And she's just like, look, man, I don't care if you're old and nasty and whatever, but you just, you can't bring a bad vibe into my, <laughs> into my room. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, just pay and like just be chill, and like it'll be good. And uh, and then there's this whole weird episode where like Wolbrecht is obsessed with his uh his appearance, mm-hmm. and uh, he just says, What does it say? He there, there's a Looney Tunes segment where he bumped his head. And he's got a lump on his head, and he keeps p- using a butter knife to try and push it down into his head. Oh yeah, and it and it pops up in a different part of his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was reading that. I was like, this is just something that like fucking Elmer Fudd would do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I mean,
0: I think you're right that there's there's a lot of those like like just just classically comic moments. Like, I mean the the whole the whole sort of like climax of the book is basically this like you know it's like something out of like the amazing race or something where all these people like are like racing to the cabin to try to get (laughs) to get to get anton and they all kind of like get there at the same time and
2: it's very right and they're all tripping over so it's like yeah it's like it's a mad 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 world or whatever yeah yeah (laughs) because what because and there's just like stuff like this that like this this kind of thing keeps cropping up where it says uh, this is like after he tries to like squish the bump down on his face. A bunch. Do you
1: do you have the do you have the page number?
2: Uh, Forty one. Um. Uh, he says he was in a bad mood. He hated little blemishes, bumps, pimples, scratches, scabs upset him. He had no patience with them. It wasn't vanity. No, I'm not vain. He said to himself. But he just couldn't stand such things. A wooden leg is still a leg, but a face with blemishes isn't a face. <laughs> and it's like that kind of thing makes me laugh but it it also like these things happen all over the book like the the collections and and like they just kind of throw me and maybe that's the intention but I'm just like what is what does this do like I don't it's a new like pixel to the overall like definitional render of Wolbrecht as a character but it's so oblique to anything else that's happened before that it just like it doesn't serve it I don't know you know what I mean like it just kind of you're just like what the fuck
0: yeah, I, I think and I and I think this hits on sort of something that you were saying earlier is that like or or it's or it's related to it that you know a lot of the a lot of this sort of post-World War II European literature that was reckoning with with the Holocaust and what had just happened, and Lind was was directly affected by the Holocaust. He had to like go into hiding and flee various times with his family, with his parents. Um uh but, you know, it's tonally all over the place. Like, it goes from comedy to, like, deep sort of, like, dark, depressing stuff to, like, religious allegory and back again all in the space of a couple sentences. Um, yeah. That's that's a sort of a hallmark of, like, this sort of, like you said, this sort of post, post-Holocaust, you know, sort of pseudo-surrealist, like, fantasy stuff. Um And it is jarring, and I think that's part of the, partly intentional and partly just because that that was the vibe of that time and place in history.
1: I guess, yeah, I kind of I kind of see it as like the writing and the the offhanded sentences that or paragraphs that don't seem to make any logical sense it kind of relates to the the theme of meaninglessness and what it really means to even be alive for these characters and like what's the point of it. Yep. Um so right. I, I think in that way it was it was effective.
2: I mean that's that's uh I, I don't know enough to go into a full kind of like whatever fucking like theoretical notion about art at the time but I do know that when a lot of people talk about their favorite time period for art. It's like World War II to like the decades after, or World War I to like the decades after World War II. Like basically the response in the like mid 20th century of like the first great wars and that creating like, yeah, this this sense of like the precarity of any sort of order and that leading in and, and, and creating all these weird movements in like every medium that were reckoning with you know, I, I guess like, I don't know. Gabe, do not you have a, do you know anything? Do you have a more intelligent thing to say about this? Like the art world and stuff too, right? Like, is that like, uh, when was Dadaism and that kind of thing? Like these 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 responses to like, please, we're gonna challenge anybody to make heads or tails of, the, of what we're doing or the world partially out of what feels like this kind of tragic desire for someone to actually to genuinely tell them what to do next
0: <laughs> yeah i mean well dada was earlier dada was in the 20s uh was when it was sort of in its heyday uh um, but but i think you know i mean it's i think with 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 the post-world war ii stuff i mean i think like it it's hard to it just because be, you, you run into this problem where you just start sounding like you're saying th- obvious things like people were trying to reckon with evil and sure. like and like but but that's what was happening like yeah you know uh it was it was sort of obviously something that people had never seen on that scale and sort of attempting to you know make heads or tails of it let alone heads or tails of you know for someone like lind and and you know millions of others their actual experiences of being in it uh it's sort of it was so it was sort of like a mass a mass kind of like uh psych, psych, like psychologist visit where everyone was sort of like, sort of experimenting <laughs> with ways of coping with their own trauma. And we just got a bunch of novels and shit out of it.
1: Cause yeah, Lynn himself- I
2: mean, Sorry, go for it, Paul.
1: I was going to say Matt, if you, you have the best Jordan Peterson voice, you could just talk about order and chaos right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, if you thought if you think it's bad now, I got a little news for you, buddy. I got a guy named Adolf Hitler. There's a guy who's, whose room was clean? What am I talking about? Am I the bad guy? Oh, no. That's my version of, I'm going to take benzos until I'm in a coma. That's my version of Jordan Peterson.
0: If you thought Hitler was bad, I'll tell you, the real fascists, and are the people who are trying to turn
2: penises into vaginas. Now that's chaos. That's chaos. Because I don't know. And they're called traps. And I don't know <laughs> what to make. I can't make heads or tails of it.
1: <laughs> people need to find meaning.
2: Where was I? Maps of meaning. Where was Get I? Get <laughs>
1: that <laughs> Maps coffee. <of> <laughs> <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> I hate these people orbiting around us. Uh, wait, so, w- yes, what were we talking about? Like, yeah. This is sort of like, the general mi- historical milieu of of when this, you know, was. The written. cliche of this, where there's like uh, this rupture of any sense and that's, that's bleeding through. But I mean, there's still something, like we were saying, like a through line in these things, which is uh, definitely like an all pervading sense that everyone's a fucking evil asshole. And that it's tragic. The world is
0: very bad.
2: Yes. Yeah. And the best you're gonna get is the character of maybe like Anton Barth. No one even comes close to his vibe in the whole rest of the book. No. Uh, I
0: think, and I, and I think that it makes sense that Anton is the sort of only character that is able to experience this sort of like direct pleasure and stuff because it's like because he's sort of in this like bubble like mind prison that can't sort of be infiltrated or can't interact in meaningful ways with the how shitty the world is, uh, he can sort of be like, yeah, I like being cold or that feels good, or oh like, yeah, Fox, awesome.
2: Do you think though, like, is he supposed to kind of be a little bit like uh just the um maybe some sort of like reverse gen- gen- genesis of, of of the human being where because he's all intellect and concept and, and brain to start, he is in a way experiencing the world in reverse hmm. to bring it back to the Benjamin button. <laughs> I was just going to say. Thing I was going to say. Right now? <laughs> Whereas everyone else is kind of like a, a sort of... Um, you know, injured and, and just wearing the, you know, the marks and scars of, of life on them that we encounter at least immediately. And then I think bar- that
1: could be something that, that sounds like it could possibly be a good theory to me. I don't know. And and some of the other short stories, uh, Lind is kind of focused on, on Adam and Eve and m- most, most notably Adam. And I kind of see uh, Anton as some sort of like, like new prodigal Adam that's like even more less than Adam was. It was just like a naked guy. Like he's just a head now. And it's like, it's almost like it, Like God wanted to have this human experience the world in a even more pure, simple way.
0: Yeah, I think, we, I think you're right, Paul. And I think when we come back to this, you know, this theme will come up in some of the other stories, but there is a running kind of question of like is is the world worth engaging with should we like just pull away and and kind of live alone uh and kind of just do you know whether that's in Anton's kind of like internal like mental way uh that was obviously forced on him not done by choice or the way that other people in some of the other stories choose to do that I think again it goes back to this question of like is the world worth living in as it is or should we like try to just either get away from it or somehow like start
1: again. Well, right. I think, I mean, maybe we should transition into the next story then. Do you think yeah. we should do that? Because that's like a perfect segue into that story.
2: Well, do you mind if I just say a couple more, just a couple more things. This is like the longest thing in yeah. here. And like I said, I've, I think it's got the most meat on its bones. Uh, but <sighs> just a couple things about the characters. Wolbrecht, right? Nice, man. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> really undermining my point uh no, no i'm listening fullheartedly i just came out you're just being I a body you're just being in the in the presence in the presence. i'm just being a i'm just being a head <laughs> no you're that was a gut to a head <laughs>
1: burps come out of the mouth which is on the head though I'll, I'll inarguable.
2: will just, just
0: farts out of his ears
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's just green steam coming out Nickelodeon fart.
1: <laughs> I'm well, sorry. I'm, I'm to, that got me, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can tell.
2: <laughs> Try to talk about Nazism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Wolbrecht goes to the an insane asylum and like we don't have to like go into depth about this, but like he basically becomes the middleman between two <laughs> two different types of nazi guys that are like one's a doctor who's just like it's better pay than being a country doctor which he was before and he just has to meet the quota of like injecting poison into uh into jewish in- uh inmates the whole time and then there's like some military guy who i don't even know what the fuck he wants he just wants to make sure that they're all dead and he's keeps upping the quota mm-hmm. and like Wolberg does between them and I mean, that's just sort of accentuates this notion of, like you were saying, Gabe, like, what does it mean to survive? And like, uh, is it worth it?
0: Well, and I think in that example or that that section of the story, you know, it sort of focuses on, on another theme that was sort of really popular with, or really common, popular is a weird term to use, but very common in this, you know, literature about the Holocaust, which is the sort of like, and this is the, the this is sort of what what Arendt kind of formalized in her book on on Eichmann the banality of evil, where people but it was something that a lot of had been explored in a lot of literature and stuff about the Holocaust, which is the sort of like just bland, absurd bureaucracy of the yes. way that of the way that the the Nazi sort of party functioned and like these hideous hideous things like some of the stuff that Wolbrecht is witness to in the insane asylum were just sort of like, you know, the equivalent of like boxes to be checked in an Excel spreadsheet. Um and that yeah. was really the sort of the first time in modern history that that sort of mass death and pain was like formalized in such an absurd bureaucratic way. Of course that's something we're we're that's incredibly very common today, but it was, <laughs> it was something that people were reckoning with for the first time uh, post-World War II.
2: Yeah. You got the Mangla guy who's basically like checking off corpses as though he were like uh, itemizing a stock room uh, at an Apple store or something. And then the other guy. And then they all eventually end up wanting Wolbrecht's help in in, in divulging the location of Anton. And Anton, in the meantime, because he got headbutted by a magical deer or something, Uh, he turns into basically, like, an otherkin, like, deer boy who thinks he's a deer in the woods, and he's, like, running around. (laughs) Yeah, that was the best part. I love that part. Right, so he basically becomes an animal, which, I mean, again, I don't know if this is some sort of, like... Return to Monk? Return to (laughs) Monk. If he's being Monk and that's the best way to be or or what
0: well but i do think it's it's pretty pretty in line with some of the stuff we've been saying which is that this return to is that should we take that route right like there's a lot of alternative routes that are presented to sort of like as ways out of or to sort of start over humanity and and or the world throughout these stories and i think that's the return to monka is just one of them there
2: but the the complicating yeah, factor is like is that it's it is still played as silly mm-hmm. essentially everyone by the end of this story just looks bad looks like a fool even anton he's being weird <laughs> he's like eating grass and thinking he's a deer and he's not and uh you can't yeah. say that to him oh no that's true
0: other can are valid on this podcast
2: (laughs) yeah that's fine if you think you're a telekinetic fox I definitely agree that yeah I
1: mean if he was alive right now and he was a head and grew a body and wanted to be a deer he'd be a furry
0: well see that's okay now I don't want to open a a can here but I don't know the difference between furries and other
1: (laughs) can I don't either. I don't.
2: I just my only. <laughs> I feel like just one. Nah, I don't even want it. Yeah, venture takes it more seriously as an identity than the other. Ooh, okay, I don't know about that. I know that's spicy. I don't want to. Eat. Let's get out of here. Let's bail. Yeah, let's get <laughs> Well, one, <Podcast> one over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is actually one be the Last I... <laughs> episode, everybody.
2: Uh, thank you so we much. Are...
1: We are canceling ourselves right now. (laughs) Goodbye.
0: Literally, this podcast Uh, delivered off the air.
1: (laughs) One thing I wanted to uh, talk about with with Anton Barth was I I really liked the the dichotomy between um, like the overt racism inflicted on his character. Like this is a Jew. He's a tadpole boy. He's only a head. He's an invalid, like Mm -hmm. borderline nothing human. But he also has like the most pure soul, pure experience like best experience. And I almost think that Lynn, as you're saying that, like possibly is saying that this is the way humans should live. And I, I just kind of, or could live. Um, but I, I like that. I like that the the difference in nature of the character it could be like looked at as being horribly racist, which it is. But also at the same time saying that this is like possibly the most pure soul in this story. And I thought that was interesting and good.
2: Yeah. Like, I I guess I was just (laughs) getting at my point that I was getting at was maybe. I think, I think, well, yeah, maybe this is the closest you get to like a character who is kind of could be described that way. Mm -hmm. And it's still ludicrous. And It's still just, unclear, yeah. Yeah, like layered with like a lot of cynicism, <laughs> basically. He's hunted like an animal. Right. And that's kind of just sort of like maybe what it's about. But
0: yeah. I, I think, yeah, by the end, you're like you said, Beth, by the end, everyone just kind of has egg on their face and looks really bad. and Right. And, and it just gets more and more absurd like by the end. Like I literally, that whole scene, that final scene on the mountaintop, where ultimately Wol- Wolbrecht is shot and killed. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But, but I think by now you everyone should just know that it's every episode is full spoilers for everything that happens and everybody. Yeah,
2: 100% as oh. much as we can give. Yeah, we want to give you the most spoilers. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I was just picturing, I was just in in my head when I was listening to it and in some ways at the in in some of the um psych psych hospital scenes I just had the circus music playing in the back of my head, just like, because <laughs> it was just bumbling weirdos running around being weird. And it was yeah. very sad. And, and I mean, it's funny because I was just rereading it and because I was having that music in my head. And of course, the circus is referenced like in that pretty much the <laughs> last paragraph where... Um, Wolbrecht is shot. Uh, and, you know, so he says, it says, uh, Mucal Pens aimed the pistol with trembling hands, but he couldn't do anything without a preamble. Wolbrecht, you're a bad sword, or I couldn't do this. You're still an interesting case, so it's really too bad. And now, my good friend, grit your teeth. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. <laughs> He fired until Wolbrecht didn't stir. Whimper looked to see that he was really dead, opening one eye with practiced fingers. Too bad, he said. He probably would have made a good circus impresario in time. He Wasn't he wild about midgets? It was almost pathological. Well, let's not speak ill of the dead.
2: <laughs> right. And Wolbrecht loved midgets. Uh, because they were still visually interesting while being incredibly cost effective because they didn't eat as much or need as much clothing material. Right. <laughs> just there's no relenting. Yeah, I guess on like how ludicrous and, and kind of dark everything well, is. Well,
1: and that, well yeah, I I there just
0: there is of course another song which is <laughs> that maybe that's what was playing in the in the psych ward.
2: I think both songs can be can be used. Yeah. What were you we gonna say? I Bumblebee? just love
1: the idea I just love the idea of someone murdering someone and then two seconds later saying we shouldn't speak ill of the dead. <laughs> 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 I, I just I really love that.
2: What's that other song? Yeah. <laughs> is that Flight of the Bumblebee? What is that?
0: I don't think so. Is it?
1: Fuck. I don't know, man.
0: Classical music is not our forte.
1: Light of the Bumblebee is by uh, Mozart, so I don't think Mozart wrote that. Is that true?
2: Is that true? And sure. it, uh, is the, is it also true that? Trolling? Yeah, are you trolling us?
1: Yeah, it's by Bach.
0: Light of the Bumblebee is no. By shut up, dude. Light of the Bumblebee is by Dua Lipa.
2: <laughs> just because she's the it person at the moment.
0: No, a uh, hundred gex.
1: Oh no, it's by Nikolai Rimsky Korsakoff. I was way off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Samsonite. I was way off. <laughs> 100 Gecks should
2: just be Geck the Gecko. <laughs> Samsonite. Swami, Swamin, Swanson, Swanson. Samsonite. <laughs> Samsonite.
0: Um, so, what do you guys make of the title of this story? Soul of Wood what's the vibe what's that all about
2: i can't tell if it's meant to be like something uh easily manipulable as a material or something meant to be through that metaphor considered like implacable and like right not i don't i don't know which one because i i thought of um i didn't read it but that uh i want to that that uh the crooked timber of humanity which is like a, a isaiah berlin book mm-hmm. um i can't go further than that but i just i just immediately thought of that which just seems like a metaphor that's maybe been floating around and used a lot to describe human beings
0: well that's a it's originally that's a kant quote the oh, that, oh. That berlin is riffing on and i think the full quote is something like out of the crooked timber of humanity no straight thing was ever made.
2: Yeah, I've heard of that actually. Applying,
0: yeah. you know, that that sort of like both that humanity is sort of pliable in the way that you were suggesting, but also that <clears throat> that like humanity is not so is not easily sort of amenable to hard and fast rules and sort of uh you know, we're not we're not automata essentially um, what was it no thing be be made God, straight
2: out of the crooked timber of humanity no straight thing was ever made
1: i think something like that i can look up the actual it, that, that should be the slogan for the lgbt community <laughs>
0: <laughs> you really trying to get it canceled now
1: i saw i saw
2: that one coming from a mile away and you're a little glimmer vibe. i'm sorry but the soul of wood it's like so I was just wondering if that was like just an even less direct way of just kind of uh, alluding to the same quote or something like that. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think I think a better title would have been um, "Leg of Wood."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had this is everyone's favorite segment: retitling and rewriting.
0: I think it would have been cool. Yeah, this was a this story was cool, but I think it should have been called Leg of Wood. And it should have taken place in the Caribbean during pirates times. Oh my god. And uh, been
2: called uh Pirates of the Caribbean.
0: Yeah, and I think the guy instead of instead of Wolbrecht, his name should have been Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> oh my god,
2: dude. Yes.
0: And,
2: and I An- think he should have Anton- been played by Johnny Depp. <laughs> I think Anton should have been Kira Knightley and whatever the fuck what her character is. And then the uh uh, Wimper could be
0: Orlando Bloom.
2: Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Nice. More fun, more family Next friendly. Story. Next story Duh. solved. This is the one that I remembered called Journey Through the Night. And this is the one that uh for whatever reason stuck with me mm-hmm. and I retained well, I think it's really
0: evocative. I mean, basically it's about it's about a guy, it's about a guy who's on a, an overnight train ride and his cabin partner turns out to be a cannibal who may or may not have drugged him uh and is sort of just just slowly waiting for him to fall to fall asleep to eat him. Right. And and they're just sort of going back and forth, to, you know, him trying to stay awake, the cannibal being like, "Come on, what's just Showing him his tools and explaining how he cuts up bodies
2: and, and all that. Days yeah, like you might come on, you're gonna fall. You might come on. Well, my first, uh, this is this is what the thing that I had I'd thought about way before because I always remember the uh, the cannibal character is being described as looking like a seal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I told Paul this theory earlier a couple days ago, but like totally forgot. <laughs> the description of him as this like uh, pale guy with like a clean shaven face and slicked back hair. Who's a cannibal. I was like, did the writer of sounds of the lambs. Oh uh, yeah. Do you think he read this story at any point in his life and cop to it? Because that's what Hannibal Lecter is described as looking like essentially.
1: That's, how- well, that's funny. Because I, I remember you, now that you say that, I remember you saying that two days ago to me. <laughs> oh, good. And the funny thing is, I had that thought, and I thought it was my original thought when I read this.
2: <laughs> this is how uh, theft happens. I
1: think, that, I think this uh, uh,
2: Inception. Yeah. I actually Incepted you. And I, <laughs> I, I, I Elliot Paged your brain. But I actually think um, that this
0: this story... I mean, I think it stuck with you for a good reason, Matt. I think it's really evocative. It's very, it's very kind of um, very eerie, uh, very sort of, uh, you know, the back and forth between them I found to be very, very disturbing. Um, And I think this story for me really was in another place where I felt sort of hammered home this question of like, survival, like why, why live, why survive What's the point? Because at at one point the cannibal sort of di- is directly t- asking um, the uh, the other guy. He doesn't have a name, I don't think. Does he?
2: I don't think so. No. Okay.
0: So he says, uh, and Paul, this is on eighty six to eighty seven. Uh, I think we I think we have the same page of numbers, right?
1: I think actually so. minor no, we all have
0: different versions. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Um. So he says, a voice spoke very softly. It sounded almost affectionate. There, you see, you're getting sleepy. That comes from thinking. What have you got to look forward to in Paris? Paris is only a city. Whom do you need anyway and who needs you? You're going to Paris, well, what of it? Sex and drinking won't make you any happier and certainly working won't. Money won't <laughs> do you a particle of good. What are you getting out of life? Just go to sleep. You won't wake up, I can promise you. But, but I don't wanna die, I whispered. Not yet, I want to go for a walk in Paris. Go for a walk in Paris, big deal. It will only, it'll only make you tired. There are enough people taking walks and looking at the shop windows. The restaurants are overcrowded. So are the whorehouses. Nobody needs you in Paris. Just do me a favor and go to sleep. The night won't go on forever. I'll have to gobble everything down so fast you'll give me a bellyache.
1: You
0: know what I was I thought that was a really sort of direct, a direct statement of in some ways, the central question of this collection for me which is why bother? Like, why go to Paris? Why go for a walk? Everything sucks. Everybody sucks. Just go to sleep and get eaten by a cannibal. It's all. It all comes out the same, basically.
1: Yeah, he's- yeah. He's like, he's like, at least I'm interesting. Out of the two of us, I'm interesting. I eat yes. people, so like, just be a part of my story. Yeah, because yes. your story sucks.
2: Right. That he he just he felt like I. I- I don't know. I get You're right. There is a reason I like this. It's it's because it's the shortest one and it packs what feels like essentially the most naked version of, yeah, the central question. One of the central questions Lind is kind of grappling with, which is like, here is this person, this crazy person, and you're just on this, you know, sort of whatever, metaphorical train ride in the middle of, you know, the void. And uh, they are making a compelling case for just a kind a kind of like nihilistic like you know they're trying to seduce you with the idea that you should no longer exist that it's
1: he's trying it's to he's very trying to, silly
2: he's trying to black pill him yeah essentially yeah. i mean i literally wrote uh but the, the question still remains to me and this is like who's the i mean the guy he's you know the guy maybe he's kind of like uh the judge in blood meridian or something sort of this like manifestation of of quiet violence that is constantly justifying its existence as like the end all be all but it's like if this is just also a guy you know he's been he's the one benefiting still he gets to have a meal and right. do what he- and do what he wanted to do and exist and like i i wrote <laughs> I I was very sleepy. I wrote, I just wrote neoliberal austerity (laughs) (laughs) under the line. I've got to eat you in the first place. I'm hungry. And in the second place, I like you. (laughs) And I feel like that's such a beautiful rendition of like a very evil idea that keeps getting pitched in various guises to people in general. It's like, no, you got to, I, you should die. And, suffer you know whatever you won't suffer much and like i'm hungry and i and it's because i like you a lot and i think and you're actually pretty cool. case,
0: it's just capitalism that's hungry and says it likes us
2: exactly yeah i knew i wrote it down for, i, I knew you. i wrote that I got down got for you. a reason.
0: You. I'm, I'm there with it
2: good sleepy thought man thanks man
0: <laughs> um yeah great great little story i thought
1: seven pages yep but i thought that it was like the most clear and concise uh, display of, of Lin's thought process and what he was feeling in this whole collection too. But it's my second, it's my second favorite out of the whole collection.
0: Ooh. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Oh yeah. We should rank them all at the end. Ooh. Yeah. That'd be fun.
2: But the, I mean, the, the question is like, again, do you feel like he kind of Lin still is, is essentially holding holding out on a definitive answer to any of this stuff? Like, is the guy's escape any kind of indication that Lynn still believes? Or is it yet another instinctive act of survival in the face of questions that people aren't capable of answering definitively in any way?
0: I think I would opt for the latter. So the guy ultimately does escape, but I think it's more this sort of just like survival, the, the survival instinct is so hard to override. And it's just this sort of, it, it's not really a commentary on the cannibals actual questions like we we don't at the end of it we don't get an answer as to what the guy's getting out of life or what's in paris for him or why he should go on living he right. just decides to
2: yes
1: yeah i want to i want to read it's like the third to last paragraph where uh the main guy pulls the thing on the train and stops it and everyone's pissed off uh and he's it's a. Uh, Poulton stowed the mallet quickly in his suitcase and took his coat. He was at he was at the door in a flash. He opened the door and looked around. I pity you, he said. This bit of foolishness is going to cost you ten thousand franc fine. <laughs> you 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 nitwit. Now now you'll have to take your walk in Paris. I just love how he's like, well, now you, you didn't die. It would have been easy to die. Now you have to deal with this fine.
0: Well, and, it, and I, well I actually I think the more I think the, the the really interesting part about that is the last line. Now you'll have to take your walk in Paris. yeah, like where yeah. It's pitched, it's pitched as a sort of sentence. Now you have to go on living. You had your chance to get out and now you're stuck.
2: I just one final thing that I highlighted was, uh, is it more natural to eat pigs or calves? Does it hurt more when you can say it hurts? Animals don't cry, human beings cry when relatives die but how can anybody cry over his own death? Am I so fond of myself? So it must be vanity. Nobody's heartbreaks over his own death. And that's the way it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hashtag go vegan.
2: Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. fucked up. You know, just a guy, he's just trying to get somebody into animal rights. Mm-hmm. Um, That's that next, story. Next story. Next. The pious brother i thought this was a weird one i don't remember this one this one seemed to me to be more about like hip people being hypocritical in like this one seemed like a, a classic reality tv i hate fake people <laughs> <laughs> kind of tale so we have
0: Polly d and snooki sitting around a, a table mm-hmm. um after a party, basically, so it is sort of like a reality TV moment. Um, no, obviously, Polly D and Snooky are not even relevant reality TV references anymore, probably. Yeah, yeah you're you sure you're really are years. Yeah, you're
2: 33 years on this planet. I don't know
0: about me, <laughs> um, but
2: I am 33.
0: <laughs> but, but so it's it's the, 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 the bulk of the story takes place sort of in a, a kitchen after a large party. Um, at a, a wealthy princess's palace, um, celebrating the Russian retreat uh, from, we don't know exactly where, um, uh, bet- and and it's a discussion between Franz, who's a, a priest, uh, avowed Nazi, and um, Yvonne, who's a artist, I think a singer, a singer from, from London. Yeah. And uh, it's sort of this, and we see this sort of back and forth of their dialogue, but also the internal sort of machinations of what they're thinking. And basically it's this sort of dance back and forth between them where Yvonne has always had this like fetish for seducing like religious people, specifically right. priests. And um, Franz has a fetish for trying to sort of like get women off with his huge mind alone basically
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah he's pretty cringe honestly you know she's like he's like he's like fill me up but with my your brain or my brain yes get me give me brain there's a joke somewhere around there and then and
0: then the princess comes in and cock blocks both of them uh essentially and then franz sort of offends her by uh, implying that one of her dead sons, w- uh, who died in the war, was Jewish, um, secretly Jewish, and then uh, him and Yvonne leave, and um, they go back to his apartment, and he kills himself.
2: So that's fun, right? I mean, that's in line with what we've been Very talking fun. About so far.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, was was Yvonne the one that was like she was attracted to to religious people, but also like people that just spoke different languages? They're yeah like, part of her... it is that well yeah yeah like she and it reminded me of uh, i just watched a fish called wanda and jamie lee curtis's character in that movie like, <laughs> she just loves hearing like she's just like oh speak any french words to me and she like rolls around the floor in lust and i was thinking of that
0: better yeah, name I... for this story <laughs> a fish
2: called yovana oh. <laughs> 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 all
1: right so we got two better names nice leg of wood a fish called Yavanda.
2: Right. The other story should have just been called "Freaking Cannibal on a Train." Cannibal something. on a train. Yes. Something. Let's don't. Let's not like sell a false bill of goods here.
0: Yeah, I would totally watch that movie, Cannibal Train.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's Cannibal Holocaust is very close to something that is applicable to this book, but whatever. True. Well, okay. To plunge a little deeper, I, I would say like.
0: I wasn't trying to dismiss or rush through. I just wanted to get the plot.
2: No, 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 I know. I just like I think Yvonne, as somebody who is just sort of in love with she's she's just a superficial person. she's she like she likes the what she just likes the forbidden nature. she wants to have sex with the Pope. that's mm-hmm. like her like ideal get yes, uh and you know it it tracks with her character. That she would also just love the sound of the language, regardless of what's being said, because I think like, like she's just being horny for words, because I think that's basically what, again, what, uh, I already forgot his name. um, Franz? Franz is like essentially offering as like a hypocrite who himself converted only after, you know, committing horrible Right, war atrocities and sins, and who now converted and but found himself enjoying his conversion only because he could kind of drive women like this into a frenzy by being a kind of fake version of what he is in reality or whatever. Like he's just being a hypocrite. He loves, he loves the like forbidden tension and just like edging this person by never touching her. just i think uh,
0: and and there's this, this franz is one of the most reprehensible characters in the whole book i think he's super he's awful 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 person um he he like keeps fantasizing he fantasizes about this woman this jewish woman who he induced to slap him and then had killed uh because she was Jewish oh was, my god you know it was this woman he was doing this sort of same like sexual game with uh and then took it a step too far I forget exactly what happened Then she slaps him and he just remembers that slap so vi- almost in a sexual way and then of course he turns her in and has her killed but I mean <laughs>
2: I think I think it's intentional that there's like this now conflation between him being an SS officer with that capability and yeah. now being a priest mm-hmm. and just smashing those two things really unsubtly together yep. and just being like the same shit. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, exactly.
2: You know, because, well, and then for Yvonne, sorry, Paul, just there uh, just a little thing of just, except for the ascetic shape of Franz, which affected Yvonne as an aphrodisiac, the topic itself left her absolutely cold. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like her whole her whole thing. She's not she's not evil or anyway, like yeah franz is like the monster that is basically like exerting his influence on everybody else in the room right she's just kind of like the dumb person who doesn't see who doesn't see the evil because she doesn't pay attention to the substance of people and what they're saying and any sort of subtext basically
1: yeah well this this uh, story did have this long section where Franz talks about Adam and Eve and Adam in the rib and mm-hmm. incestuous relationship. And when I first read it, I thought it was it was Lin's kind of maybe like a strange take on his own philosophical intentions or something. But I, when I reread it, I was like, I think this is just Franz who's being like an SS hipster, just like coffee <laughs> out of his ass. Get the <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Oh, just like boy. trying to, like, sound super <laughs> heavy and smart to appeal to Yvonne, so he seems cool in this in this establishment.
0: If you go home with <laughs> a former SS officer and they don't have books, don't fuck them.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Love a man in uniform. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I, I mean, I is this just kind of a somewhat clear line being drawn between just false authorities of various kinds?
0: I think there's yeah. that aspect of it. I think the, you know, like you said, the priest and the SS officer being literally one and the same. Right. Um, yeah. And sort of, you know, it's it's the way in which that they they both served served sort of Nazi ideology. Um were being two sides of the same coin. Uh, I think that's definitely a big part of what's going on. And then just the sort of general like questions about hypocrisy and, and, you know, internal conflict. Cause I, I, I by the end, I was completely puzzled as to why he killed himself. Um, Cause he seemed completely fine with all of his hideous deeds and hypocrisy.
2: Yeah. It's like, not that he was redeemed, but is that the most redemptive thing he could do? I like, yeah. A, and he's dressed as the Jewish guy he remembers killing. right right (laughs) yeah he so which is even grosser (laughs) like he's like it's it's absolutely terrible he like cosplays yeah it's like the one his his
0: final act is to just try to kill it's like the worst version of like kill the god in, in your head or kill the cop in your head it's like it's the ss version of that which is just kill the jew inside your head which is yourself
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's Oh bleak, dude. god. I kind of think that's what was going on though. The one other the one thing I had underlined was uh any pagan, any buddhist is a thousand times superior to us. The Jews at least rescued human responsibility and the Buddhists saved God's omnipresence. All that was left to us Christians was the mystery of the trinity, and if you take that away, we are finished. And uh I think I think that's a. I, I do like that sentiment of like, uh, sort of occulted or mystified void, or yeah. just like, or or um, you know, mystifying evil, which I think is more akin to what Arendt is suggested, which is that it's like, it's pretty banal and oftentimes procedural and directly applicable, or like attributable to like usually people or organizations with names and fucking addresses and stuff and it's like you know but if you can mystify it in in a concept like you know the trinity or something yes uh it can seem like so much more and you can get away with so much if you're capable of pulling that kind of trick over people
0: the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was was being kaiser soze (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Panicking and and creating a narrative based on stuff he saw on the wall.
0: Next story. The judgment.
1: the
2: judgment.
0: The Judgment. The Judgment.
1: Oh yeah, this is my favorite
0: one. Well then, what's it about? Take it away
2: and explain why.
1: Uh this is about a a mass murderer who is in prison uh for killing 12 women on the 1st of uh every every month for a whole year and he strangles them to death and he's a complete psychopath. Um what was his name again? Was it Franz? There's so many Franzes. I don't remember his name. Pretty sure it's Carl. Carl, <laughs> not Franz at all. Um but yeah, it's 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 him kind of fuming in prison and um he has, like, just a, I think at the beginning it's like a couple days until he's being executed and um, he gets this idea in his head that he uh, he wants to kill one more person and he gets the idea that he wants to kill his father. So he has, he writes this hilarious letter to the warden and at the end of it he, he signs it, respectively, Carl, comma, mass murderer, which be laugh so... But you know, he's like it's like a big case or whatever. You know, he's obviously this famous um killer. And uh he gets he gets his way and his dad comes to his cell and they're alone and they kind of stare at each other for two minutes and they both strangle each other. <laughs> and the uh the father ends up, you know, he's like bigger, stronger and kills his son and his eyes pop out. and uh and then he just the father goes into like an insane asylum but they kind of just let him let him let him out after a little while because they're like your son sucked um but there's you know it's interesting because there's like there's flashbacks to when the when carl was younger and um just like basically being beat up by his dad but he's also just like a complete total psychopath and like when he was, like, a young kid, he, he cut his finger off on a dare and then, like, kept the finger. <laughs>
2: yeah. He's, he's, he's,
1: uh, he's, like, sitting at the dinner table with his parents and, like, takes out the finger and starts, like, itching himself and, like, picking his nose <laughs> with it. Uh, <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> and his dad's, like, give me the finger. He's, like, no. It's <laughs> my finger. What it's
2: mine, need? dude.
1: It's totally fucking horribly bleak and Unsettling, and it just makes. Oh, I want like every single person that ever has a son to read this, just to be like, this could ha- this could be your, this could be your child someday. Whoa. Think about that.
0: Whoa. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's parenting classes. Would be really weird. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Look out, Doctor Spock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, one of the things that I really liked about this story is that the the, the dad specifically, he's like. um you know part of his rationale for wanting to kill his son is that it's he it's this sort of like almost like pseudo libertarian rationale where he's like well i'm allowed to do it but the state shouldn't do it i should do it right i'm not gonna let the state kill my son i'm gonna kill my damn self
2: like the dad's just like by degree a less psychopathic guy and i think you're supposed to recognize that like he still wants to kill his son because it's like I brought him into this world. (laughs) I'm gonna take him out. You know. Well, yeah.
1: Once again, once again, this is a story like it's filled with characters that are just not great. (laughs) None of these are redeemable characters
2: at all. Meanwhile, you know, uh, the murderer, the son, is like he's just kind of like incel style. Like he's just like he's trying to get the headlines. Oh yeah. He's trying to get, um, you know fame and he has just like fixation and he really wants to get that that 13th victim because it'll look good on a headline
0: the supreme gentleman carl the
2: the supreme gentleman carl (laughs) i want to read this little this little bit um
1: uh, okay uh first first i'm too wet then i'm too dry he thought for he saw no difference between waking and sleeping which i thought was a great line maybe it's because i've only i've Only six days left. How do I know? Might as well get it over with. The weight is getting on my nerves. And all the fuss they were making because he was only 21. As if age had anything to do with it. You're much better off hanging while you're young. If I were old, I'd feel sorry for myself. Schnabel told himself. (laughs) Later on, memories weigh you down. They fasten on you like leeches. Leeches. He liked the word. A young man hangs easy. It won't hurt. Dark shit. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But also, like, like weirdly profound too like he has this knowledge that he's going to gain saddening memories so it's easier for him to die now when he's like a young strapping young mass murdering lad
2: (laughs) who can't who can't who can't think about what he's done either yeah i think mildly that's implied like
0: Yeah. yeah i think that's right
2: won't have time to sit with it because the other thing is, uh, what does it say? It's right at the beginning. It says, uh, and they gave interviews to the press. He couldn't care less. Everybody, he told himself, must die. There's no mercy. He'd never had any either. He'd killed 12, all women. They had screamed like stuck pigs. Not one enjoyed it, but dying is dying. That's life.
0: He needed a visit from Red Law's ghost to, to, to forget all of his traumatizing memories.
1: That would be a sweet uh, Dickens Christmas story. Sick like crossover. A, a, a mass murderer is visited by ghosts. That would be a, a much tougher sell than Scrooge. The be most
0: vicious crossover event in history is Red Law's ghost visiting, <laughs> visiting the Supreme Gentleman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, so this one should be renamed Red Law's Judgment.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think I it love be that. Re- I think it should be re- renamed Red Law... Red Law Order. and Order,
2: Infinity War. What about Red Law and Order, Infinity War? <laughs> Red Law and Order, SVU, yes for you, Infinity War.
1: Yes, Red Law and Order. Okay, that's good. Well,
2: I I wasn't. It's actually funny that you brought up Dickens because like, even in all this stuff across the board, uh, I feel like there is a bit of uh, I think it's in the chimes, uh, the one the the one guy who is uh. Nice. Who is talking to uh Toby's daughter in Chimes, the Chimes, and he's like
0: the magistrate guy or whatever,
2: essentially invalidating any life choice, yeah, by uh, a less bleak oh. version of the logic that you we're really getting our faces rubbed in these stories, but like the uh, uh, you know the same, yeah, kind of kind of notions, which is like why do this stuff? Why marry? Why have children? Like
0: they're just going to turn out poor and and like street weasels like you.
2: Right. And miserable. And like, why should you commit yourself to an even another person? Like might as well enjoy your, you know, drink and fucking enjoy your time while you're alive and not get married or or think about any kind of future whatsoever, et cetera. Like it it does feel uh, similar to me.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good connection.
1: Yeah, um, I
2: think if Lind was
1: born, you know, fifty years earlier, hundred years earlier, he would have been the uh, the Czech Charles Dickens.
0: <laughs> Czech
1: Check? Dickens. Czech Dickens.
0: Um,
2: I thought he the was Viennese, he v- 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 but that's that's okay. He's yeah, he's oh.
1: Austrian. Oh shit! Sorry, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen. Don't
0: um, listen. The other thing that jumped out to me about this story. Um, from a thematic point of view, is again keeping with some of the other themes that we've touched on with the, the rest of these stories. Is this this sense of the father that I think I forget who said it earlier that I brought this thing into the world. It's my responsibility to take it out of the world. I kind of think that that's that's Lind talking about humanity to itself. Like humanity <laughs> has brought in you know the the Holocaust, the Hitler, Nazism. Mm -hmm. into the world and like what is our responsibility for trying to remove it from the world and what extremes should we be expected to go to to do that
2: but it's it's and and i agree with that assessment but it's still so weirdly presented yeah you know because the father's yeah i don't know i don't know if it's like you're meant to like contend with the entire thing metaphorically like that like because then what would the state be in that in that situation you know what i mean like in that interpretation of it
0: actively correct and uh fuck (laughs) so sorry about it
2: damn i guess next story
0: well no i don't know i don't i'm not saying that every character in the story has a metaphorical role but just that act of the father killing the son for that sort of reasoning
2: exactly yeah but still
1: but still even after that like it it displays. it shows the world in a in a bleak point of view also because like the state is just glad they didn't have to pay like the $1,200 or whatever right. to actually execute the, the prisoner. They're actually happy about it.
0: Which is, there's that, there's that sort of hideous bureaucracy again.
2: Yeah. I was, a uh, I was just watching, uh, THX 1138 or whatever that, that OG George Lucas movie yeah. is, which is really great. But, uh, that was one of the most hilarious aspects of that movie is, uh, so they're trying to get Robert Duval, the titular character. And uh they have these like automated police that like basically he like a lot of the like slave people just their employment is building police. <laughs> yep. And uh that's how they assess like what the they're, they're uh they're basically their threshold is uh there's a money counter the entire time they're trying to get him back into his like cell and as soon as it like goes over like some amount of like random credit chips they're like forget it and they just stop <laughs> they just stop chasing him <laughs> <laughs> but the entire time they're like i mean it's only cost us 14,000 and our budget's 40 so <laughs> good job to the police force right now and uh there's just no moral thought process at all it's all bureaucracy all money and all these short stories, like, ju- yeah, they just have that, like, final, just extra sad jab.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: Which tends it's to be bleak. banal.
1: It's a bleak vibe. Uh, I wanted to read sorry. this, this, what? Oh, no, can I, I want to read one more line that I yeah. thought was really funny. Go for it. Um, it's really quick. It just says, uh, Schnabel? Schnabel? How do we, just, Schnabel? Schnabel was a man of action schnabel was a man of action when he had an idea he acted on it he wasn't one to put off things never had been and that made me laugh because i was like to be a mass murderer to be a successful mass murderer you can't be a procrastinator
2: no you got to be a go-getter
1: you got to really be a go-getter you got to you got to get the work done
2: (laughs) yeah those people aren't going to kill
1: murder themselves paul no, I mean, if I really want to kill someone on the first day of every month, I just, I have to do it. I got I to gotta get this done. It's like putting you, out a podcast.
2: Did you guys ever watch The Fall? No.
1: Yeah, I did. Jamie Dornan.
2: <laughs> yeah, Jamie Dornan yeah. is
1: this character. He is this character. He's yeah. just
2: reading Nietzsche, and now he's like, I have to kill women.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. With my hands. That that show is surprisingly bleak. I thought it, there was going to be some sort of twist. something. It's just like, nope. Jamie Dornan is the mass murderer. Then so we have to get him. We have to get the guy. All, All right. right. Next story. The window.
0: The window. What's going on? in The window.
1: You guys you are know. gonna have to remind me because I, I'm blanking. I forgot.
2: <laughs> somebody. Somebody meets God. Maybe. We. It's, oh yeah, this one's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like I did like a this vague. But it starts out as a sort of a guy who basically can't get turned on by his wife anymore. And he's sort of... Uh... It,
2: what is this? It says, this is literally the first sentence, which made me laugh. When her behind left him cold, he knew it was all up with love.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love, it's it's her behind. It's her, yeah. yeah. And he it's just keeps saying so it
2: like that, too. He's like, I don't know what yeah. to do, man. Her behind. It's not... <laughs> It's cold to me. It's not getting the juices flowing anymore.
0: And and so he meets this strange figure who he sees looking into his into his room from outside or into his home through the window through a window. And he sort of strikes up a conversation with him and they wind up going to a bar together and having it sort of is like as Matt said, it's sort of implied that this character Leander is some sort of deity some maybe god himself uh he he refers to himself at one point he says you know um you know i am he is what he how he describes himself
1: right well in the first capital H. well in the first few pages he you you just you you only know that he has like denounced breasts as he calls them like he just doesn't care about women anymore and he just says he's a man of god and. Bra- brazzle the main the main guy who can't get turned on by his wife's behind behind he um is like an outspoken like they're having a conversation he's basically saying that he's an atheist and so on and uh but there's a, a weird point in the story where i forget how he gets proved that uh or how he starts to totally believe that he is god the the guy but it's, it's a total 180 he goes from like I don't really think I believe in God, to suddenly he's like, oh my God, you're God, I love you now. Which was a very quick turn of events. This this whole story felt like the most, it felt like a dream that uh, Lynn just kind of like wrote down on paper. After yeah, that. it's very, very surreal. Very surreal. More so than the other stories.
2: What is, um, what is, uh, what is Brazil offer leander ultimately as this kind of like because you know this being the kind of collection that it is and lind being the kind of guy that he is i was like this is probably yet another thing where it's like probably the devil so uh you know
0: yeah so my interpretation like basically like leander sort of like shows um brazil or brazil the this this uh, this woman and he kind of like reawakens his sexual passion i guess and that's like the gift that he gives him um and my and he, my interpretation it's not clear but so he takes out a knife at the end and my interpretation was that he was gonna cut off brazil's penis
2: right or something I like that, that. too with a pen knife of some kind
0: yeah with the pen knife but but then it it, at the last moment it turns into an abraham and isaac situation and he says all right Right. you can put it away your willingness your your willingness to take your penis out to let me cut it off was enough i'm not actually going to do it but next time the next time we interact if you fuck around then i'm getting it
2: right your your willingness is enough for the moment yeah it's just it's abraham yeah yeah this
1: this yeah it's a surrealist abraham
0: but i think it's i think it's interesting because it's and this maybe is another sort of like lind tipping his hand a little bit in terms of his views on religion similarly to the ss officer slash priest um at the end you know god sort of comes off as this like this like mob boss yeah always watching you like it's this this sort of same thing like i'm always watching you don't fuck around or i will come cut your penis off
2: right it's like i just need to know he's just tony sopranoing it like out of out of the room he's like Nah, it's enough but just uh you know next time you're gonna be so lucky and i just thought that that,
0: um the the last uh that that where it's that sort of is driven home at the end is really like really well it's evocative and i really liked it so they're sitting at the bar um and you know he says he says take out take it out out with it and brazil says all right said brazil i'm ready take it i've been a fool leander shut the pen knife and put it away your willingness my friend is enough for me that's all i need but next time it will cost you more than a little something don't get mixed up with me Don't go to the window to see if I'm there, because I'm always there. That's the truth. I never sleep, never. Now go home to your wife, and whether it makes you sick or not, don't tell anybody. It's me at the window, nobody else. Remember that. Brazil thanked his friend, deeply moved by his generosity. But if you need me again, my friend, just come to the mill. They always know where I am. Brazil took a run and, winged with new passion, flew over the night roofs of the city the shortest way home. He has been a new man ever since.
2: (laughs) He's born again.
0: He's born again. Uh, uh, but I just thought that, the, that like, I'm always there. I'm always at the window. Don't even bother looking because it's me. That was very creepy, very, like, I I, I thought that, but, and just the scene of them in this seedy bar uh, late yeah. at night, I thought it was awesome.
2: This bar was that's, really like, good. this kind of uh, weird utopian oasis. hmm Just these weird characters coming in, like, what did he say something like he's like the chinaman they're coming in yes they're bringing me a nice little something (laughs) like just these weird guys coming in and giving this uh this dude offerings well they they were like doesn't
1: exist but they were kind of like they kind of came off as being sort of like his goons too or maybe but like worshiping goons he did it was there was a big uh mob boss tony soprano vibe there. totally
2: well just i'm always watching you know like Listen.
1: Yeah, I've, I'm gonna know if you do anything.
2: I've proven I've proven my existence to you to the extent I'm willing. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if you ever question again, I'm actually gonna be pissed. Uh, don't try and overtly question my existence. Go to the mill, which I'm assuming is just like a place of worship or something like that.
0: Yeah, which well, that was the name of the bar, but it also functions as
2: yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like there's a there's a, a designated spot for that kind of thinking otherwise grin and bear it but it the the weird thing is that yeah it works on him he's he's happy
0: yeah it does but it is a very very strange i mean like another just another paragraph that i thought was both hilarious and 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 sort of you know illustrative of lynn's view of religion and the absurdity of it all um Crying is no good, said Leander. Love is up here, he pointed to his forehead. You've got to have God. Without God, it's no good. I've already told you I used to believe in breasts. A man needs breasts, I thought. If he hasn't any of his own, he needs a woman's. (laughs) Nothing came of it. What are breasts compared with God? You've got to hold on to breasts and then you fall asleep. But God, my friend, holds you and doesn't let you sleep. That's something. God can do everything. He made a man of me. God has everything, breasts have nothing. God is love, breasts are mostly mostly milk lands. Same with her behind. it's only flesh, it leads to nothing. I'm gonna shoot, I'm
2: gonna shoot,
1: I'm gonna shoot.
0: I was was like, am I reading the Yakov Lind collection or like some incel forums?
1: Yeah. I'm pretty sure that this story uh, invented the never nude from uh, Arrested Development, too. Remember this part?
2: The person with no nipples or genitals or butt? No, no, no. Okay, I'll read this little section. He says, yes, said the
1: other. He's talking about uh, Leander. I'm always fast. I never undress. And the pajamas, asked Brazil. I wear them over my suit, the other admitted. My wife insists. Right. Even if you don't sleep, she says, a man's got to wear pajamas. Why argue? Why not do her a favor, favor? Now we fight about different things. Marriage is a compromise, H- hence the pajamas. Everyone has to pay. I don't have to work. My wife came into a bit of money. That's why I said yes, and I had to gain time. Now I've got plenty. I had to find God. Now I can't sleep at night because I have found him. He leaves me no peace. All night I think of God. <laughs> Very fucking weird. But I, I love the I love the idea that he never takes his pajamas off because his yeah. wife doesn't want him to. <laughs>
2: Uh, i feel like this would make such a good little short movie as I, well
0: yeah it would be a really cool short film
2: a lot of these would i really think that the uh
1: the one on the train would be a, a mm-hmm. great like twilight zone slash Hostel uh little movie
0: Yep. next story
2: next hurrah for freedom
0: hurrah for freedom
2: this would make a good short film too yes just because visual, visually it would be hilarious.
0: What's going on here?
2: Like once again, not totally sure. Yeah. Uh, I forget why, but uh, like a guy ends up needing to stay over. Do you remember why he needed to stay? I, 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 he's just, just it's two dudes named Leonard. Yeah. Uh, one of them
1: which is which is funny.
2: Yeah. W- w- one which of them funny thing. <laughs> Is that where they start talking to each other or something? But like yeah, so Leonard Balthazar is the other one. Yep. Yeah. Um and uh they immediately make a lot of, of uh noise about the that he's very fat. Yes, yeah, huge. Hugely fat.
1: Well the, the first paragraph is super funny. You want, I can read it. It's really I'll just read it. Um Don't get your hopes up and don't expect too much. The man who said these words was named Leonard Bathazar and weighed close to 22 stone. Everything about him was pale and fat, even his mustache. Without the mustache, he might have been taken for a a fat old woman.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but so why is it made clear why he... um, It's not really.
0: They meet by chance and they're going back to the fat Leonard's house.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this one should have been called Fat Leonard. Uh,
0: Starring Eddie Murphy.
2: <laughs> no, you're right. It should just be called The Clumps. <laughs> uh, yeah, this guy just uh, accepts an invitation, seemingly, you know, out of the kindness of uh, Leonard Balthazar's heart to just come, you know, uh, have some dinner and uh, weather the night at his place. Mm-hmm. Um. And that starts off a very strange experience for other, other Leonard who uh, finds out the pe- peculiarities of uh, the Balthazar household. Um, they're n- big, fat nudists. Yep. Uh, they keep their house incredibly hot, so they're sweating all the time. Uh, They have a dead horse hanging from the ceiling of the main dining room and uh, they incestuously impregnate each other and then eat the resulting offspring. Yep. Bada-bing, bada-boom. And and not Balthazar, original Leonard, skinny Leonard, keeps his composure, doesn't like what he sees, but is trying not to be too judgmental, and then he bids everyone a a fond (laughs) good (laughs) night. (laughs) <laughs> Bye.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's the story. That's the story. And I think uh, they, you know the 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 horse that they the rotting horse that they have above that hanging from the ceiling is they have this religious sort of uh, view that like once the horse fully rots down to the bones that will signal the, that 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 like Lithuania will become free again, which is where they're from.
2: Right, like the Russian. The, the Russians will retreat from
0: Lithuania, Yeah.
2: Yeah, and that
1: horse, that in particular, that that gesture of just like hanging the horse, it, I was like, this has to be symbolic of some idea, and I just couldn't, I couldn't think of what it could be.
0: They're they're refugees from Russian, you know, Russian Russian invasion of Lithuania, and and yeah, the horse is when it's gone, that'll be the freedom of Lithuania again.
2: This felt very yeah. much like just uh, folk wisdom mm. and being chill with other people's. Uh, cultural beliefs and behaviors uh it it just it painted it as like this is when you're allowed to be like this is bad or something like that
1: yeah yeah it was it was like an episode of anthony bourdain that went really bad (laughs) and he 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 had to get out of there
0: (laughs) i also think part of this part of the message here is like again you know they're 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 sort of Part of the reason they're proud of their lifestyle or happy with their lifestyle is because it means that they get to live free from Russian, from Russian intervention. They're like, this is how we this is how we keep Russia away. Um, And and you know, it's like this hideous, hideous lifestyle that they live. It's just awful. But to them it's worth it because we don't have to be under Russian rule.
2: And like the visitor, Leonard. I don't know, he's almost anthropological in mm-hmm. his, or a- anthropologist style in his approach to this cuz like they make a lot of uh uh you know I don't know they they, they, they mention that he's a doctor a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, a medical student or medical yeah. student that he fucking loves science and that he uh I don't know I I think it's supposed to be played for humor that he's like he's really trying not to judge like he's like <laughs> drinking <laughs> they're like hogs blood liquor and like taking a tiny little bite of a human baby (laughs) just to like be polite. And he's like, he doesn't even give a final judgment. He clearly doesn't like it, but like I think it's supposed to be an indictment that he just mildly retreats from what is a charnel house of just absolute horror.
0: Well, and I also think it's this sort of, it's this sort of like, commentary on how terrible the world was at that time for people that that this compared to their perception of that was preferable you know so there's this line near the end um where leonard says true they were naked they ate their children and the whole house stank." but (laughs) (laughs) true they ate they were naked they ate their children and the whole house stank but in the paradise of workers and peasants as the newspaper said the people the people were still worse off and besides they're not allowed to travel you know so it's just this comical comparison of like soviet conditions versus these like the, the worst people you can imagine and sort of like meh, who knows
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah come say come say, a little calm no column column yeah it's impossible which is hilarious
1: i think there was a little like i i read this a little bit like uh like lynn is trying to say like the grass isn't always greener it's like the grass right. is always bad it's like the grass is always shit brown
2: <laughs> was there some mention like, of the fact that they're also just they just made all of it up too I forget if there was some nod to the fact that like the guy was like uh, fuck. I'm trying to see if there is, but like that. Who made it up? That the Balthazars—they're not even doing anything Lithuanian. <laughs> like oh. they just—they just made up rituals and random behaviors. Uh, because I think it's like the hurrah for freedom is too. Like they are now. They now have the freedom, quote unquote, to
0: do the worst
2: shit, do this shit that is so disgusting yeah. that they would have been chased out of you know non-russian occupied lithuania for doing right but now there's like this uh grievance that they have that gives them like a purpose for eating their children
0: it, it's basically they basically are able to generate an excuse for being the worst
2: yeah yeah this should be called this, the I... Balthazar's are the worst <laughs>
1: <laughs> or hurrah for children's blood Yes. Um, well, I think there, there's a little bit of a callback to, like, uh, like Soviet states actually having to eat each other, right? Didn't that actually happen? Like, villages that were so starved under communist rule that they literally did, like, cannibalize each other? I'm pretty sure I'm not...
0: Sounds like CIA propaganda to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably not. I, I mean... I was really wrong about Mozart, so I'm probably wrong about that, too. <laughs>
2: well, you called him Bach before, too? <laughs> it was a good bit. I liked it. Uh, Beethoven. I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's just like cannibalism, which was mentioned earlier in the book, yep. is one of those taboos, the crossing of which I think is like a point of no return. Uh, something like that, you know. Especially like a, when you eat your own children. Yes, allowing for allowing for these kind of things to happen is in fact categorically wrong. Right. Um and the fact that this person is sitting here trying to put a good face on it because he's an objectivist medical student. Yes. is itself kind of like no you know i was i was getting
1: a little bit of uh midsummer vibes like a young med student coming to like see the foreign how the foreign people live you know or like how the poor people live and uh, i was also getting a little bit of hereditary with all the naked fat people standing around (laughs) in the darkness um i also i kind of liked how like it was really strange that um, like, the room or the building they were in, the house was, like, it was too warm. So they hadn't put on slippers because the floor was too hot. And they keep saying, like, oh, don't leave. Um, it's warm here. And I almost, it almost made me think, like, are they just nudist because their house is so hot? But they do it on I, purpose, I, too. They make the house hot on purpose? Yeah. I just, I, yeah, it was weird.
2: Yeah. So the, the worst part the grow the creepiest and funniest part is when the realization that they're cannibalizing their children occurs and then they invite some of the kids down to be like children come meet the man right and the dude's like just eaten a tiny bit of one of their siblings uh and he's just looking at these kids and this is where it just goes straight up national geographic where uh just as seven naked creatures stood around him in his clothes, it was stiflingly hot. They all had bloated white bodies, and all the women were without pubic hair. Another Lithuanian custom? Leonard, <laughs> felt as if, Leonard felt as if he were dreaming. He was rather sorry for them. A well-dressed hunter on safari can't help feeling sorry for the savages he meets. He would have liked to give them a handful of glass beads or a mirror. They are poor and proud, Leonard said to himself. Actually, what he what did he himself know of the communist yoke? All hearsay here for the first time he was seeing the real victims they moved him almost to tears but a medical man has to control himself yes like I that just felt again like a kind of summation of what the fuck was going on uh you know this guy unable to uh to have an authentic moral reaction because what did he know he only had hearsay about what it was like to live under Russia. these people were like, victimized you know all this kind of stuff like the way it muddies the waters and other atrocities can happen it it feels like an answer to the other side of it the more the more complicated question of like i don't i don't know like even the people uh to whom violence is being perpetrated being capable of the same thing which is strange but it, it i don't know
0: next story okay no i'm kidding i don't have much more to say about that one i think that's a yeah
2: yeah Uh, me neither it's just with all these stories it's just yeah i i it feels a bit like i'm i'm kind of uh groping for for takeaways and stuff which might be good might be a good kind of might be the whole point but so this is the last one i mean i feel like we've hit on some
0: pretty like themes that have run through most of them that have come back over i don't think we're i don't feel like you're groping
2: um, Thanks, man.
0: All right, so the last story in the in the collection is called Resurrection. Yes. yes what's popping? What's popping poppin with this one?
2: I, I had to take a big sweet of wine.
1: Uh, I think this was my least favorite one.
0: So it's it's basically about these two guys who sort of are both hiding out from nazis and they sort of develop a friendship um i think one's a a a, a jew you know a, a ethnic jew but a christian and right. the other one is a is a religious jew
2: like a zionist yeah yeah
1: this one didn't seem to like hit on the the themes of the rest of the stories to me mm. um one one the younger guy i think this younger guy he basically reveals he has tuberculosis and he has like six months to live mm-hmm. and the other guy um basically like helps him out and lives with them and they're like in this house together they're there for a long time and um i forget exactly what happens but they end up getting out of the house and he like gets fresh air and suddenly starts to feel better and then they jump ahead in time and uh Basically, he's totally cured, and he's fine. His health is totally okay. And then their friendship just kind of, like, dwindles. They see each other, like, three more times, and then it just kind of ends. And I I, I really did not know what Lind was going for in this one. It it, it it, was very different than the rest of them. It wasn't very bleak. It was actually kind of, like, just, like, a nice story about two friends. I don't
2: know. I'll
1: take I a... I didn't...
2: Oh, I'll, I'll take a... The, the only thought I had about this was just like um it, rem- <laughs> it reminded me of like uh I don't know I think there's like an old twilight zone where these people were like trapped in this thing and they thought that the apocalypse had occurred outside Yeah, I remember that. And so they were like incredibly they were like hermetically sealed in this environment where you know, it was just like kind of their personalities, and they were like fighting more and more. Uh, and, you know, it's just their world became shrunk down to these two perspectives. Uh, and I don't know. I, th- I think you have, yeah, you have the ethnically Jewish Christian, whose rationale for becoming Christian is so that his anti-Semitism was justified, just some weird convoluted rationale for being Christian that was like partially derived from like <laughs> like Talmudic mental convolutions. And then you have like the hyper idealistic Zionist uh trapped in a kind of Anne Frank <laughs> scenario. Uh right. Yeah, I don't know, arguing and and then finally and then maybe like kind of seeing how they were talking past each other and what was the takeaway. It might be one of the more hopeful stories in the collection.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely is cuz they kind of ultimately come to some sort of, you know, not agreement but a kind of, you know, weird friendship and and yeah, they they see each other later on in life and uh, you know, it sort of ends with this with this kind of like big tent sentiment. You know where you know just just the last couple paragraphs. You know, um, Goldschmidt looked at Weintraub for a moment and turned and left him. As he left, he said, "You're right, Weintraub. We've got to keep our health. With all this fear, we might as well be dead. Keep healthy, have a good trip, and make sure you get there all right. We shall meet again." A week after this conversation, the two did indeed meet. Weintraub was climbing the steep stairs to his holy Jerusalem. And Goldschmidt to his Jesus on the cross. For to tell the truth, the city of Jerusalem is not so very big. Sort of like the differences aren't as blown up as we sort of make them to be. And right. there's you know yeah. all of this sort of division, you know, in, in you know in the big picture. But that that sort of drove Nazi ideology was this blown out of proportion religious. You know, these distinctions are not as serious as as we make them out to be.
2: Right. And in the stifling environment of this horrific regime where people are being killed for these reasons, those things just have the space to, to kill you and create them into monstrously large issues that are worth killing for and dying for. Um, And then so like, I don't know, like the consumption thing or like the the, uh, tuberculosis thing, and then them finally... (laughs) getting out and him being actually fine uh just seems like just a, a very literal representation of that like they're 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 only dying in this kind of situation
0: and it's and it's because of that tight tight space and that tight environment that the sort of rot comes through and once it's opened up a little bit it just dissipates
1: so
2: that's is, what he, yeah he's being yeah he's being he's being cheerful here yeah i think so yeah well,
1: what do you guys what do you guys think of him ending the the book the collection with with this story
0: it's a nice gesture because the rest of it is so relentlessly sort of everything is terrible and everybody's terrible
1: um yeah i mean but, there's no there's no I, like you
0: know, But i think you're right it is a to- it is a sort of jarring kind of like it it almost feels like a contrived happy ending. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, th- yeah, totally. There's no there's no Looney Tunes in this one. There's a <laughs> uh, <laughs> very stripped down, and it's a big it's a big shift in tone from from the rest of the stories. It's just that I, like, I I don't. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say I don't I don't I don't mind the happy endings. It's just uh, it was it was a very strange way to to shift. To, to an ending like this in the collection
2: for me I don't mind a happy ending and in fact uh, I had somewhat negative response to this book um, or not a not an, not like an overwhelmingly negative response but just like my criticisms would be from the point of view of like th- this feels uh <clears throat> It's unremittingly bleak in a way that feels reductive and kind of redundant and a little simplified, even though there are great moments where Lynn is like hitting upon how fucking complicated evil is as it convolutes into itself and justifies itself with like, the responses to evil creating evil and, and that kind of thing like that's all super interesting and is in here but Mostly it's unremittingly bleak. And this this feels like Gabe was saying, like a kind of like, hey, it's not it's not all that big a deal. Right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Which is which is
2: a little which does feel a little simple as a statement, especially in relation to the other stuff, the dark stuff about humanity that he was describing. So I yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I I definitely I definitely um yeah, I, I I I did not like it as much as I remembered liking it, um, and I think partially, like you said, Matt, for that reason, just the sort of like the 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 it it felt you know the best literature about the Holocaust and about that era is is manages to be both um, like stark and direct and brutal while also morally complicated and interesting. And I thought the moral sort of worldview that lando's was evincing here, I thought he posed some interesting questions, which is good, but, but it, I think reductive is a really good word. I think that's, uh, yeah.
2: I think he's just too sad. I think he's too, I think some, you know, I mean, I don't, it's not like I don't understand maybe this, this kind of scarring on you and takeaway. Sure. But I think he's fucking, he's just, He doesn't have, he's so bleak about human beings and their potential. So when he does a gesture like this, you're right, it feels pained almost in a way.
0: And there are definitely funny parts in the book, but even those were sort of more like, yeah, like more Looney Tunes funny than like,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, it was like, it was like, uh,
2: like nihilistic, uh, Three Stooges, Keystone SS officers. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's it's a, yeah. it was a little blackpilled maybe which obviously you can't fault someone let that for being blackpilled about the Holocaust, <laughs> but
2: quote of the game quote of the day
0: yeah <laughs> um do we want to like rank the stories or should we do Harry Potter. There's a lot of characters.
2: I think Harry Potter is a little complicated. Let's for this just, one. Let's,
0: instead of, instead let's, of the set, the Harry Potter, everyone's favorite segment, which will now be two weeks without, um, <laughs> in, uh, it'll be back. The fan favorite segment will return. Let's <laughs> yeah, just, worry. um, let's, let's, let's rank these bad
2: boys. Uh, All right. Let me just pick, pull up the little list here. Table of contents, baby. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah. Uh, whoever yeah paul i will go first
1: all right is this worst uh, to best or best to worst oh yeah
2: this will be worst to best okay. i don't know if
1: i have a table of conscience damn i'm
2: gonna do go best to worst that seems more natural, all right
1: mine worst for me was resurrection then i would have to say uh the, the piles brother peels pious this is this is really hard. The penis brother. Um, the penis brother. It actually gets a lot harder now, but I would actually say Soul of Wood third worst. Wow. Fuck. I didn't like. I really didn't like that one. I was kind of falling asleep. Um, <laughs> then I would say, Hurrah for freedom!" The naked people, naked cannibals. Then uh, the window. My top top three are the window judgment number two and i actually am flipping my initial response i think journey through the night is number one that right. one will stick with me nice that was that that one's a five bagger
0: The five bagger it, popcorn classic damn that one praise. that one
1: alone uh that one boosts up my overall rating of the whole book for sure that that's a that's uh, a must read i would say
0: yeah. yeah um all right i'll go i'm also gonna go worst to best to keep the tension built oh shit Uh, For me, the one I did, the Pious Brother was my least favorite, I think. Um, Then Hurrah for Freedom. Then Resurrection. Then The Judgment. And then top three would be The Window, Soul of Wood, and Journey Through the Night. The Train one as well is my favorite.
2: Sick, sick. All right. Should I just do what you guys did? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Worst to best. Worst to best? All right. So the worst to me is probably Resurrection, Pious Brother, The Pious Brother. Then I would say The Judgment. No. Yes. Then Hurrah for Freedom. And then my top three are The Window, Journey Through the Night. Soul of Wood,
0: nice. So our top three is just all the same, pretty much, except for some a couple variations.
1: Well, no, I uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you had Soul of Wood
0: outside your top three. Soul
1: yeah. of Wood, I had. Yeah, so, yeah, I didn't like that one. But we all agree like the
0: train and the window are in there.
2: Yeah. And why do you think that is? I I think they're the shortest. Were you know the yeah. first most short and second shortest basically.
0: I think that's right. And I just I just feel like they just were so punchy and distilled and and you know the window i think i like them for different reasons personally i like the train one because it's just the this is the central this is my thematic concern i'm putting it in your face but i'm doing it in a really a really like interesting and evocative and and eerie way um the window i just liked because i thought it was similarly evocative in the writing but, but it, it also had such a different feel. It was just dreamy, and and I think the window I liked more for the writing than for the sort of content.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of just gonna can I say ditto on that basically?
1: Yeah, me too, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, I think I had the judgment up there so high because I thought it was, I thought it was the funniest, and I I needed some humor in this bleak book. Um. And it was also I I, I like that kind of psychology. I, I like true crime, and I like psychopathic people and reading about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's why I had that one up so high. But. This
0: is this uh the 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 judgment of course is my favorite genre, which is false crime.
1: <laughs> false murderer.
2: False murderer.
0: False crime, like the false crime, fiction crime, true crime. An opposite of true crime. Fuck. <laughs>
2: Fuck. Um. So disappointed in myself for not. Should
0: we, uh, should we throw <laughs> some some numbers on this bad boy?
2: Come on, Matt. You gotta fire on all cylinders on these things.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude. False. You detective. can't be just
2: like. No. Okay. Well, now I. Ha, 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 I get it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: False lies.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I've always been here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you want to do? Uh, numbers,
1: numbers, gang. Rate the book, I guess.
0: Uh, I, I, I will, I, I fully confess that potentially my view or my feeling about it was colored because I remembered liking it a lot and it didn't live up to my sort of remembered vibes. So that I maybe being harsher than i otherwise would but it's you know it's like a 3 3.1 for me i think it's good
2: yeah that's not i like we were saying before i don't know if that's necessarily a bit that's not abysmal
0: no i i'm no. good that's that's good
2: i was gonna say 3.2
0: yeah
1: 3.25 I, I was gonna give it a 3.34
2: wow so, okay. I got
1: the, I got the highest score out of
2: here. Matt,
0: would you say 3.25?
2: Yes, sir. Nice. That's a nice in in darts, that would be a nice little grouping.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. We, we, we <laughs> were all on the kind of on the same page here. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, Lind, you know, check it out.
2: I'll be yeah, I'll that, be reading something else of his probably.
0: I don't yeah. yeah. I don't know how, how much else is in translation, honestly. Not a ton. Yeah. Not much. This is this is his major collection. Uh,
1: um, the the journey through the night though is like a, I, I would say a must read five. Pages. I
0: definitely think journey through the night is is worth the price of admission. Um, yeah, soul if of can- wood. I I really like soul of wood also, and the window definitely those three were definitely worth it all for me.
2: Yeah, if you can if you can find a, a version of this somewhere, get it. And also, I, I, I contend that my, fuck, God damn it. can't see at all. See the tree man. Well, Mine not, the is listeners the, can't. The Hill and Wang Law uh, edition <laughs> is Addition. the coolest looking version of the book you can buy. Oh well. Good yeah.
1: For
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like my cover too.
1: The two like the two naked people. Which I just realized were probably the naked people. That's uh, got to
2: be the Balthazars. Yeah, definitely.
0: One thing we didn't talk about that I should just want to just throw out there is that this book wasn't written, wasn't published until the '60s. So this wasn't like a, you know, immediately after the Holocaust. So it was also sort of entering like a a different era of style and and you know, um, art and stuff when this was written and coming out than like oh. you know some of, some of the more some of the stuff that was closer can. You know, uh, um, temporally to the Holocaust actually happening. So that, so, speak of that, what you will. But I thought that was worth noting.
1: I think you're basically saying that this is like, this is like, like Weezer, and it's not. It was trying to be the, Beetle, like the to Beatles. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love the Beatles. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, I, I actually didn't know that. I thought it was written in like the '40s. Mm-hmm. That, that was my guess. Yeah.
0: Probably should have said that earlier, but there were here we are. They they here listened, we but we didn't. And uh We
1: also we also didn't talk about the author very much at all, but
2: what well, we did, he was, you know, he he lived under he was Jewish and he lived uh under a uh false identity and that's how he I believe survived most of that period. Yep. Basically. He was like Don Draper. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He had a sweet mustache too. Get that coffee.
2: Yeah, he looks like that guy. He looks um,
1: like Food Man. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, he looks just yeah. like Food Man. Yeah, well,
2: he, he looks better than the.
0: Well, yeah, he's got a different. It, but he, he looks, looks a better lot than like Food Man. Yeah. He looks better than the food. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he looks better than Food Man. <laughs> 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 i love when we in real time just polish it, just refine it so well Re- get there. writer's room We always get there always- writer's room Hatori hanzo played you can just cut through anything at the end <laughs> of it just fold the steel fold that steel
1: uh, well all
0: right thanks for listening to uh spine crackers <laughs> this week <laughs> Where we read uh, Yakov <laughs> Lin's collection *Soul of Wood* and other stories.
2: Just check out uh, check out uh, Yakov Smirnov's comedy while you're at it. Just as a as a double feature.
0: And check out our Twitter and Instagram pages.
2: Yeah, I'm Paul.
1: I'm
0: Gabe. Uh,
2: goodbye, everybody. And I'm Matt. And it's and been a pleasure. Your
0: spine has just been fucking cracked.
2: And your cracked. spine has been cracked in a good way.